This episode of the Tome Show is brought to you by our patrons. You can support the show like them at patreon.com slash the Tome Show. Welcome to the Tome Book Club of April of 2023. The Tome is D&D news reviews and interviews show, and I'm your Tome host, Tracy Hurley. And I'm Jeff Greiner, and in each book club episode, we discuss one D&D-related book, Spoilers Be Damned, in full book club style, and our book this time around is Dungeons & Dragons, Honor Among Thieves, The Druid's Call by E.K. Johnston. You think it's Dungeons & Dragons related this time? I'm not sure. Some some of the some of those um, connections are are more obvious than others, aren't they? And with us, as always, is Eric Paquette. Hello, bonjour. Uh, next episode, which we'll record towards the end of June, uh, we'll be reading Perdido Street Station by China Mieville. And before we get started onto this discussion, I want to say thank you to all of our patrons that help us pay the bills. You can help too by going to patreon.com slash the Tome Show and offering as little as a dollar a month. Now on to the book, The Druid's Call by E.K. Johnston. I did a little bit of, uh, I was curious because um, the first book that we read, um, um, The Road to Neverwinter, felt very familiar to me. It was written by Julie Johnson. Julie has written a bunch of D&D novels back when people who weren't named Salvatore were allowed to write D&D novels. And so it felt very much like going to home, going back home. Uh, this book had a different feel to it, and uh, and we can get into that a little bit. So I did some, some reading about E.K. Johnston. Uh, E.K. Johnston, it turns out, I'm pretty sure I did not see any other D&D um, work on her, her book list. Um, but... They have written a bunch of Star Wars, I think, uh, or several Star Wars novels, and so have some experience in shared universes. And and I would guess from um, the way the book is written and the way things are described, has plenty of D&D experience in her own life, would be my prediction. I remember seeing that she worked on the uh, history of Mandala. The three book series about the story of Amidala. Okay. There was a series for that, so. Right on. So, The Druid's Call. What's that about? A tiefling trying to find a family and place to live. Thematically. Sort of, yeah. Also learning... Learning how to transform it in, in wild shape to an owlbear. Right. Yeah, I was going to say, it's, it, what it's really about is breaking whatever that next edition or thing with D&D that's happening right now. Like, we're going <laughs> to break D&D for that, right? Right. Well, and every other edition that's ever been published as well. Um, there is no edition of D&D that I'm aware of that where you are capable by the rules of wild shaping into an owlbear, but... Um, well, they uh, even mention in the book that it's the first time they ever yes. see a druid transform into an owlbear. So, which which actually um, 
fixes things a little bit for me, right? On, on one hand, like, it's an area where the movie breaks the rules of, of D&D, uh, which there's, you know, it's like... The way it broke the rules with the the intellect devourers, not to get spoilery, um, I thought was okay to break the rules because it landed a solid joke. Um, the owlbear thing, I don't know. It gave him an opportunity to bring in an owlbear, but it wasn't really necessary for them to bring in an owlbear. It could have just been a big bear, you know? Um, yeah, but owlbear is distinctive to D and D. That's exactly right. So, owlbears are iconic, and they wanted to have an excuse or a way of bringing in an owlbear, and so I get why they did it. Um, yeah. But the and and the book is sort of it's the story, it's the backstory, right? It, I kind of think of it as those times in my life when I was creating characters for a campaign, and I. Um, wrote up a backstory for my character and it was like a five page backstory. Now do that to the nth degree and write a whole novel as, as character backstory. And that's kind of what this book is. It's a novel length character backstory. Yes. Of Doric, the Druid, the of, tiefling Druid. That we see in the Doric, the tiefling Druid um, that, that people may know from the D and D movie honor among thieves. Um, and yeah, so it seems to, it also seems that there was a very clear purpose of, hey, try to fix the whole complaint about wild shaping into it an owlbear for us. Explain that. Except obviously they did the, they they had her write this book before those complaints happened because she couldn't have written the book and gone through all this effort of explaining. Like they predicted. They knew that people were going to be upset about the owlbear thing. Well, what did I'm wondering if was she was the author asked to fix that or if the author knew knows nothing about DNA said, Hold on, this is not allowed for Druid, so I need to explain that, otherwise all mm -hmm. the fanboys for D D will be complaining. That's one thing I'm not too sure which one is, is true. Sure. But either way, clearly one of the goals is to explain why this one druid can wild shape into an owlbear and that it is a, and it also establishes that that her wild shaping into an owlbear is a rarity that um she is unique it is not an established like well in the world of the movie druids just turn into owlbears no big deal <clears throat> yeah and i know i had to super bite my tongue when we had the conversation about the movie first mm having or had already read the novel when we had the conversation and right. and and you know not try to ruin it for folks because we didn't want to spoil the book but now right. we can spoil the book right no um, i had to, i had to do the same thing because i read both novels back to back yeah. and I, I wanted to have read them both before i watched the movie um so i had to bite my tongue when we did our movie conversation um as well. well for people listening to that we probably will be spoiling some of the movie too, because I believe all of us have seen the movie. And yeah, I mean, might... I think I think we'll try to keep spoilers pretty light for the movie. Um, yeah, but you know, hey, the movie the, the movie involves a, a druid named Doric who wild shapes into an owlbear. So and, there you and go. I was gonna say, it is kind of easy to potentially not overly spoil the movie because while Doric is an important part of the movie, uh, and I hope that's not too spoilery. Like she's in it. Uh, she's part of the party. Uh, she's not as well developed in the movie compared mm. 
to the novel and compared to maybe even some of the other characters is at least what other people have said. Mm-hmm. And so like, it's a little, there's so much more that happens in the book compared to yeah. in the movie. Yeah, that's, that's, uh, yeah, you get a lot more of her. I mean, and that's, there is a degree to which that's typical, right? I mean, that's true of other folks as well. Other characters, we get a lot more backstory. No, other characters, we get more backstory. I don't know that, like, some of them are pretty well developed in the in the movie as well, right? Um, right. Like, we get almost very little of Simon in either of the books. We get... I'm not saying he's even front and center in the movies, but I feel like he's a character where you probably get a lot more from the movie. You get a lot more backstory from him in the movie, yes. Um, but the like the core party is in the other book, and they get a lot more of the pe- attention in the movie. Mm-hmm. But I suppose they get a little less attention because they're all sharing the the story in the yeah, the, and it's a common yeah. it's a common ensemble like Avengers type issue, right? Where you can't give all of these characters the same uh, amount of spotlight. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Um, Yeah, no. So, so this book follows the, the exploits of, of Doric, uh, who would be a Druid. But when the movie, when the, the movie, when the book starts, Doric is a tiefling um, born to humans being raised ish uh or or at least living with wood elves in the neverwinter wood um i think she's raised because as we find out in the because there's actually two stories there's the current story yeah of her trying to become a druid and there's also in certain chapters you do see of when she was a child right born with parents well and, and that the only reason i hesitated a little bit is because she, I think, by the time she was found by the elves, she was. I mean, she was still young, but she wasn't yeah. super young. I mean, she was uh, old enough to be out there in the woods surviving on her own. I think she was six or eight years old. Yeah, and and because later on, then she grows up a few years later, and they say twelve, fourteen. Okay, so and so. One of the things the book does deal a lot with is the is childhood trauma, a uh, sense of abandonment or being treated poorly by one's parents and yeah. the effect that has on you um, as you grow up. Uh, and so that's like a, a good thing, like an important thing to potentially know about the book, if that's something that would be hard for someone to read. Yeah, it does. I mean, the the first time... So I read it, I, I listened to it before I watched the movie. And then like three days ago, I started re-listening to it. And I got about, I don't know, two thirds of the way through, uh, a second time through. And I remember that the first time I listened to it, the the flashback scene where the other baby is born just absolutely broke my heart. Oh my gosh, it is a crushing scene, <laughs> right? Um, yeah. Um, I mean, it was, it, it is a... a yeah, so it, it was a, a really, I mean, well-written, but heart-wrenching scene. Um, second time through, I knew what was coming, and, and I knew how it was going to play out, and it didn't affect me the same way. Um, but look at thinking back at it, like, it is, you know, uh, she was she was born of human parents, 
but she's a tiefling. The parents freaked out and basically locked her in an attic. Um, it seems like that she learned to to ambulate and talk and and what have you, just sort of more or less on her own and by listening in to her parents through the through the floor or whatever. But then a new baby's born, and she starts like getting ready up in the attic to welcome the new child up into the attic and to help take care of it and, and show it the ropes and, and what have you. And then the new baby never shows up because to her, it was just normal. You know, oh, well, this is what happens. Babies are born and then they're put up in the attic. Uh, and and um, then this baby, like, and she was ready. She was excited to have somebody else living in the attic with her. And then the baby never was sent to the attic. Um, yeah. It was just it was just heart wrenching the fact that she was so innocent and so naive as to, this, as to what was actually going on to her own abuse uh, in many ways, right? Uh, and yeah. Then, and then to see how that played out for her uh, was just was just crushing. So we we've we've kind of started where the story is chronologically, but we have but not in the order that it's being told, right? Um, I, I guess long story short, eventually she breaks out of the attic in her childhood. Her parents find her. Oh my gosh, you, you got out. Uh, it's so good to see you here. You must be tired. Have some tea. And then they, they poisoned the tea and it knocked her out. And then they dragged her out into the woods um, where she, she would have to fend for herself as, as a, what, six to eight year old ish, depending on how we read things. Right. Um, so. Horrible parents in every way, shape, and form. Um, it's also not a commonly established lore of how tieflings come about that I know of. Now, maybe it's in, in the rule books that this is the, a way that tieflings are born sometimes or whatever. But the only other fiction that we that, that I know of for D&D that deals heavily with, with tieflings is the Brimstone Angels. And that is not the story of how they were born, uh, as I recall. Yeah, and I thought it was an interesting choice to 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 go that route mm -hmm. in the um for the movie and and the books for that universe. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, and, and and it you know the movie. And arguably the books stay very true to the setting as has been established sort of through the game books and through the previous novels and what have you. Um, so this was that was an interesting choice to me. And, and I think it helps tell that story of neglect and abuse and, and sort of a little bit of her insecurities. Um, and I think that's OK. Yeah, but but it, but it was a little bit of a departure uh, from what I expected. Also gives out a different way so there's not just one way for a tiefling to be there's more than one story that you can be told mm -hmm. for how tieflings can come about mm -hmm. so so in any case and she she lives in the, oh go ahead Tracy. i was gonna say so she she gets left in the forest right and then she's able to survive even at her age for a time in the forest until she's finally found um by the elves right yeah she had like a little a little like layer a little den cave that she'd been um setting up as her home or whatever 
Uh, but then the the river or whatever that she, her cave was near flooded, and it flooded out her cave, and she got washed away into down the river. And that's when one of the elves found her, uh, is having been washed up on the banks of the river, um, and brought her in and took care of her, and they sort of took her in. Uh, and meanwhile, that time that she was surviving on her own, she was surviving on her own with the um, the guidance the, that she didn't realize was intentional guidance of, of a snowy owl. Um, yeah. That was, that turns That's out. Also... Go ahead. Oh, no, you go ahead. I was going to say, and we would, that we would later discover is a, a spirit of the forest. Right. Um, and so it gets to be this interesting thing because she often feels like she's very much a burden. She can't, she's not very good at being a ranger. Mm -hmm. But yet when they go out hunting, everyone, like other folks in the, in the group are more likely to uh, be able to have, to, to get the animals or, or whatever they need um, as part of it. And over time, what they realize is that connection with the snowy owl isn't necessarily, um, you know, just a one-off type thing it, it's she has this connection to nature that she can kind of like innately um speak to animals for lack of a better term right. it's not really speak to them but uh she can uh convince them to do certain things or it ha and and things like that mm -hmm. yeah i don't yeah. know the right way to to call it <laughs> yeah she, she has an empathy with, with empathy, nature can communicate commu right. verbally well non-verbally just yeah, a little more psychically, so, kind of, but yeah. I don't want to use too many game terms for it because right. <laughs> it's not well, doesn't quite fit the game term, like game mechanics or either. Kind of reminds me of the descriptions the game gives for how wizards communicate with their familiar that they're not really talking; they are just you feel you have a, a bond type thing. Mm -hmm. so. Yeah. And then I forget the exact relationship, but the person, the elf that ends up taking her in and kind of raising her, you know, raising her as a daughter, Le although... Leavaris, is that her name? I think so. I, I have a really hard time with names and it's been a couple weeks, but okay. but yeah. Leavaris yeah. um, is the one that took her in, so... Is it like her sister or aunt was the one that was the community's druid for a long time and... Um, mm -hmm. is no longer with uh, with them. I think it was, uh, think it was her, her, her aunt or something like that, yeah. It was an older generation. Yeah. And I, so the, the mother figure starts seeing this connection to nature, thinks it through. They end up having a reunion with the uh, nature spirit in the woods, and I'm sure I'm skipping over a lot of really cool details. Uh, uh, you, yeah, you missed, but, the, you missed the bear thing and the whole logging um storyline which is kind of the climax <laughs> so oh yeah so we can talk about it too if you want well i mean it was just that they they were uh she and her her best friend her really only friend was it toriath is her name uh were sent off to scout some some odd things going on in the forest and discovered a, a logging camp where humans had been coming into the middle of the forest and cutting down large trees in the exact way that you know the the local woodcutters that they knew never did uh, and they had stacked up all the trees and then left um, with the intent of like damming up the river, coming back, damming up the river, and then floating the logs down the river to Neverwinter. Um, and while they were there, they were attacked by a bear. Um, and she was able to sort of empathize with the bear, feel its anger, feel why it's under, why it's upset because it, its habitat's been destroyed. 
um, and calm it down. And that's when everybody's like, oh, turns out maybe you're a crappy ranger because you're not one. You should be a <laughs> druid, but we don't have any druids. And so, yeah, then you were talking. They, they, they go and commune with, with the nature spirit and they get a bunch of the previous druids gear. So she's got, you know, special druid armor and, and what have you. Um, and knives that then never come up again in the story. Um, and then is told, okay, well, then I guess you need to go down to our deep forest near um, um, Waterdeep. Uh, because the Emerald Enclave is there and there are druids there that can that can train you and help you. Great. It's interesting how much the movie leans into those initial those original um factions that fifth edition sort of leaned in on a lot but then over time has paid less and less attention to um yes but they kind of brought it back and made him feel relevant and fresh again um you know i guess when you're consuming a narrative it doesn't feel limiting to that there's you know five or six or seven or however many uh, factions like that. But when you're playing the game, it feels a little limiting to be like, well, does everybody have to be one of these six factions? That's a little ridiculous, you know? Right. Uh, and particularly where, like, at the beginning of 5th edition, they tried to make it so that... Not make it, make it, but they really encourage you to pick from them. Mm -hmm. Whereas, like, in the story itself, there are some folks who are part of a faction, but most folks are part of no factions. Right. Exactly. So anyway, so uh, she she travels, right? She meets some some nice fishermen who help her ride a boat down, and she has that experience, and she learns that she can kind of sort of hang from her tail. Uh, she has a lot more. Her the depiction of her tiefling tail is a, feels a lot more prehensile than what I'm than I what I usually Im imagine for tiefling tails. Is that is that consistent with other people's experiences as well? Oh, my experience with tieflings is from the old second edition, oh. where all tieflings had a bunch of different abilities. Whatever, right. some of them had the, had prehensile tails and some didn't, and all that. So, mm -hmm. so the fact that she had a prehensile tail to me, okay, she's one of the tieflings that has a prehensile tail. So, okay. <laughs> And it's not entirely prehensile, and she kind of hangs from it for a second, but it hurts a lot. So she, she's like, oh, well, maybe if I work on it, I can use that later. And then it never really comes up again. <laughs> it's like the knives that she found that were the old druid's knives. Oh, okay, cool. But, like, you could have left those out and it would have changed nothing, you know? Uh, but really, um, the... She, so she the, her plan is to go down to Ardeep Forest, find the Emerald Enclave, be trained as a druid so that she can be useful. Because as Tracy pointed out, it's really important to her to feel like she, she belongs and that she's useful. Because she kind of feels like a, a mooch with the wood elves. Um, and so she wants to learn to be a druid and then come back and serve them as a druid because they haven't had one in a long time. And she finds them without really it being a big thing which they think is a big deal because usually somebody has to help um newbies find yeah their group yeah it turns out she's she's even though she's starting the training a little late although it didn't feel that way it was okay so it was a little inconsistent <laughs> um 
when she shows up, they're they're like, okay, well, we can take you in and we'll train you as a druid, but you're going to have to work really hard because everybody else has been here for a few months and you're behind. And she's like, that's okay. I'm used to working hard. No big deal. But then like the next morning, and I know this because I just listened to this part like this morning or yesterday. The next morning they wake up and it's like, okay, so you're all going to go out to the garden and learn how to work as a team. And it's like, it feels like they're all going through orientation. But if several of them have been there for months, what have they been doing? Uh, so, you know, it, it, it felt a little inconsistent. Like, they're supposed to have been there for months, and yet they all feel like they're starting off in orientation together. I mean, they all clearly know each other except for her when she arrives. But in terms of their training, they don't seem to really have a head start on her. Maybe well, they have individual training? I don't know. They don't really delve with it they don't. much. That... I know there are reasons why not to talk about these books too often, but it felt like the Harry Potter issue, right? Where um, mm. that most of the students did know each other at the beginning. Like, I think Ron and Hermione also kind of already knew each other at least a little bit, or maybe they just met in the train and were that close of friends. Um, but Harry's coming in late. <laughs> There's I mean, a, like. Harry's, and, I mean, setting aside them knowing each other, right? Harry's coming in having not even known about the wizarding world and they've all been, well, I guess Hermione hasn't been growing up in it or whatever, right? But a lot of people have been have been raised in the wizarding world and yet they're all starting at the same level of, right. of proficiency. Hermione, yeah. Hermione, even though she was not raised in there, she was aware of it because she applied for it, basically. Well, yeah, so, so it just it felt it felt like it had some of those same little bits of issues and like the clicks and the the fighting in that way, but it mm -hmm. it was like one portion of the novel and right. not the whole thing. Not the whole thing. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, and th this is also the spot where I don't know the mechanics of the game became too much part of the narrative to me. Um, there, there's a degree to which like before she was being trained as a ranger and now she's being trained as a druid and it's like, okay, fine. I guess you can just call these people who live in the woods and go hunting and, and know how to fight or, and shoot a bow and whatever. We can just call them all rangers. Maybe they're not, maybe we're not just referring to people by their class, but then they show up at the Emerald on cave encampment and it's like, okay, well over here, the druids are learning and over there, the rangers are learning and over here, this is where it clenched it for me. The barbarians are doing their thing. And that's like, now you're just talking about classes and, and while it would make logical sense for people who live in that world to like know what class they are because they all have a shared set of like abilities and whatever. Like I, I get that. That's not either how I like or or how I'm used to hearing it described or seeing it described in a narrative in a, in a novel like this. Usually, they try to file off the serial numbers a little bit more, um, and and th that that was not the case here. There was even a story at one point where they are talking about a a bard and a barbarian trapped in the prison, which we know. From seeing the movie, we know who they're talking about. Right. But still, it's like, okay, you know well, who they're talking about. And the, yeah, it's like, why are the you thing just... is, in, in that case though, it, it, I kind of like a bard is a thing that is a profession that people have outside of of game mechanics. Um, so I can accept that a, a little bit more. Although, why they would call him a bard when 
at that point in his life, he hadn't been doing Barty sort of things in years. I don't know. And then, and then referring to Holga in that situation as a barbarian also makes sense because there are barbarian tribes uh, in the Forgotten Realms that are called barbarian tribes regardless of what class they are. Uh, and so there's a, there's a degree to which that could make sense to me. But that's not what's happening in this Emerald Enclave camp. Like, they're clearly just referring to here are the bards, or no, here are the barbarians, and here are the druids. And druids kind of make some sense. Um, but calling them, you know, calling them out as, as barbarians when they were all from a mixed group of places and, and peoples. And, and the only one we really met with a name was an elf. So clearly not one of the, the Uthgart barbarians of the Forgotten Realms because they're all human. Does the Emerald Enclave have specific names for positions in, in the Forgotten Realms lore? Or they don't because... It's what I'm wondering if it's an aspect of the Emerald Enclave saying, well, okay, these are the group of people that are barbarian. Yes, they're not used in class, but it's the Emerald Enclave. Or do they have its own lore with own names for the for the positions? Yeah. I, I mean, I don't, I don't get the impression they would have something like that that would refer to the yeah. class names, but I, it's not a big deal, and we're honestly spending more time than it's probably worth worth spending on it because it wasn't that big of a deal it's just it, it took me out of the story a little bit to, to hear people referred to by their class um in the story so uh, there were other areas as well where where it makes perfect sense that people would refer to like druids changing into animals as wild shaping but you're calling things class listed abilities right you're, you're uh you know and so it, you can see the, you can see the mechanics a little bit but there's element there's other elements where where very clear decisions were made not to like oh we were in the middle of the fight and somebody uh summoned thorny vines and used it like a whip well clearly you're casting thorn whip but you're not you know at least then you're just sort of describing what that was done and not just calling it out by spell name um so so it's, it was interesting to me where some places they sort of leaned into the we're just gonna we're just gonna call the mechanics the mechanics and other places where they clearly weren't. So. So anyway, she goes to um, the Emerald Enclave. They form sort of their own new party of all the newbies who are our classmates or whatever. Uh, it is a typical D and D party of incredibly eccentric races, right? Um. I mean, there's, what, a human and an elf? And everybody else is non-player's handbook. Well, I guess, and then Dork's a tiefling. But other than everybody else is non-player's handbook races. Um, we have... Was a, there a half-orc in there? Or was that later there, on? There was a half-orc, but not... I don't think they were in the the, the group of, of newbies. I could be okay. remembering wrong. Um... But there's there's a Furbolg, there's um, a, an Air Genasi. What else am I missing? I don't know. Uh, I, I've noticed that the, the movie property seems to lean heavily into um, the exotic races. You know, Dragonborn and Aarakocra and Tabaxi played heavily into the into the movie, for example. I mean, it's all better. This discussion would go much better if Jonathan was if here. If Jonathan was here, we would be doing recording a much better episode. Yes. Um, 
so anyway, so yeah, so they start their training and you kind of get to see a little bit. And I really liked the, okay, so what does it look like for a druid to learn how to druid, right? Um, and I liked the sort of explanation of the training and how it worked. And, and it made that make sense in a way that I was like, oh, I can I can use that in my games in the future. When somebody decides to multi-class as a druid, sort of what does that look like? And how do they start learning and and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and then some. Then one day they, they discover... Um, that it's time to learn how to wild shape and and they're all very excited about wild shaping which means they've reached the level where they can start doing these things right um and that's when we 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 have it called out for us that doric has this tendency of almost never doing things first right she sees other people do it and then she can figure out how to do it so when one of the other classmates figures out how to wild shape she immediately then oh that's how it's done and then is able to do it um, and he calls her out on it uh, later on and, and is very, very mean because it turns out he's been um, eavesdropping on the private conversations between her and her roommate, who's the, the furball character. Um, and he's really mean and she gets angry and she wild shapes into a bear, whereas previously the most anybody had ever done was like a, a rabbit or a fox. Now suddenly she turns into a bear and she can't change back and one of the the masters sort of has to come and talk her through it and she's expecting to get kicked out you know it's gonna suck she's like i i just listened to this part she's she's all very like man this is gonna suck i'm gonna get kicked out i'm gonna be stuck as a bear when i get kicked out so i won't even be able to tell them how much i appreciate them taking me in and, and showing me these things and whatever uh, but they don't kick her out uh she gets to stay and they they help teach her and train her um am i missing anything i'm talking a lot here it's okay. I think that was that was a, a lot of it. But the the um, larger the larger thrust there is that she ended up being a much better wild shaper than everybody else. Yeah. Hmm. We also, also skip. Oh, go ahead. Uh, for the bear, wasn't it also a bear that uh, its uh, fur was from a different area, a more northern area, or something like that? was that um no that's the owl bear later that's the owl bear later okay because because the, the owl from the 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 neverwinter forest that she that was the spirit that she um communed with or, or was helped by or whatever was also a snowy owl and that didn't fit there um yeah but no the bear was was but clearly like they've shown they've spent this first like two-thirds of the story showing oh look she has this affinity for owls and she also has this affinity for bears ha 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 where's this going <laughs> right yes. um, i don't know where this is going right um yeah. powers combine right but um we did skip over the bit where she kind of showed some leadership there was a, a spot where they were sort of taken out to the woods and said okay well we didn't let you get any equipment but you got. You have to figure out how to survive here for for what a night or two or whatever. And she immediately, well, not immediately. She waited for somebody else to step up and lead, and nobody else did. And they all seemed confused. And with her experience with nature, living with the the elves, she kind of stepped up and started giving orders. And it turned out that she had some leadership skills, and she kind of becomes in an emergency the the de facto leader of of that group of newbies uh, from that point on. Uh, Simon shows up. Is it was it on her way to the 
the forest before being trained or that when that what shows up Simon Simon Oh yeah yeah you're right on the way to the Emerald Enclave that's the first time she meets Simon he's yeah. he was in a pond and he was trying to cast a spell because he was trying he was hired to help a nearby village because um their crops weren't growing um they they were way behind on on the growth of their their plants and vegetables and whatever um and so he told them that he would use his magic to fix it but he continues to be comically incompetent and he ends up comically in the middle of a pond not casting spells because his spell failed and then she offered to help and went into the village and figured out that well the problem is that the mortar between the stones and your well is breaking down and it's putting more lime into your water so just clean that up and it'll take care of itself yeah because when she talked to the druid that's one of the things that she mentions mm-hmm which helps her get accepted among the Emerald Enclave to join. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's right. And then we sort of had the, the, the big climax moment, uh, and this is where I finished re- in my re-listen um, today. So after this, somebody else is going to have to talk some more because I won't remember as much of the story now. Um, but there was uh, there was a big fire and it was had already sort of ravaged one village and was uh, headed towards another village uh, and um, was go- moving in the direction of, of the forest. So it was going to be a druid's problem regardless. So they, might, they they should probably go out and help and help quick. And um, and they do, they were. And she was particularly helpful because being a tiefling, she's fire resistant. So she could just sort of run in and, and not worry about getting burned up. Um, but then the the villagers were telling them to watch out because there's a monster nearby and uh the monster you know was active or whatever so the the one um newbie who was sort of the 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 draco malfoy of the bunch if you will if we're going to continue that comparison right the 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 one who was mean to her uh and didn't like her um went off to deal with the monster and she chased after later to help deal with the monster and the monster turns out to be a snowy owlbear uh, who had wandered, she discovers uh, through her nature sense, if you will, had had sort of wandered down from the north, had been exiled, it had been wounded and exiled from its own uh, people, its own, I guess, den, its, its, its family, whatever, uh, and had wandered south and found a, a, a good den uh, to, to take up, except that it was really close to this village. Um, but by the time she figured all this and helped lure it into a new place, it had already attacked and killed her, her, uh, classmate. And so she felt real guilty about that, but she managed to chase it off into a different den further away. And then, um, in an effort to sort of commune with it and help calm it down, she wild shaped into an owlbear. Uh, and so... She, that's the first time she did the impossible and broke the game rules. And that's the last we ever heard of Dork because we can't have that in our game. Right. At that point, she Sorry, was written, the, written out of the, existence. The story ends like that, yes. <laughs> DM called shenanigans. And that was it. Yep. And so, and so from there, we, we continue sort of getting the story of of her and her training and her talking to the druids about eventually coming out with like, okay, I, so this thing happened. 
when when um, the classmate died and I kind of wild shaped into an owlbear and the other druids are like, um, wait a minute, are you sure? Because that's not a thing that's possible, right? Druids don't turn into owlbears. And so uh, it's a, into monsters. Right. And it's, it's established for us at that point that her being able to turn into an owlbear is a, a unique thing, not a setting breaking situation. Um, was it shortly after that that she was called up then, called back to um, Neverwinter Wood because the trouble with the loggers had, had flared up and gotten bad again? I do believe so. Yeah. Yeah. And so she uh, she gets a little bit of a shortcut, as I recall. There was a, there was access to some, some portals or some tree stride or whatever it was, but then she ended up um, meeting up with her, her fisherman buddy that brought her down the river to help bring her back up the river. Um, and she, she, as I recall, she brings help. We're in the part now where I haven't read it for about a month. So did she bring the other members of her, her Druid group with her, as I recall? Does. And Simon goes, shows up again to help her out. Yeah. Yeah. But at least one of the other uh, folks from the Emerald Enclave comes. I, th I think uh, at least at least the Furbolg um, roommate, yeah, a good friend. So her two uh, best friends in the world, um, Toriath and the Furbolgs, whose name escapes me, um, were there. And for a while, the elves have been working and sort of fighting off the the loggers. And we discover that the loggers are logging at on on the orders of the um, the ruler of Neverwinter, which ties into the movie is is forge um who we know from the previous novel and who we know from the movie as being the person currently ruling neverwinter dun, dun, dun. um but so yeah and so this is also the story of um not only the story of how she can turn into an owlbear but it becomes the story of how she knows simon as well so that when we reach that point in the movie where simon's like oh hey I know somebody who might be able to help. Um, this is the story of how he knows this person who might be able to help. Which is exactly what I would be doing if I was writing uh, a backstory for my character. Is I would be I would be doing these elaborate stories, uh, explaining my character and who they are and why they can do what they can do and whatever. But then also I would have a, a couple of smaller, almost throwaway scenes where my character has a connection to an already existing member of the party so I can tie them in and, and get into the game. I thought the, um, you know, at the end they, they, they sort of fight off the loggers and, and, and what have you. But to me, the, the thing about the end and, and, and our, my description of it is a little bit, a little bit abrupt, but I think in fairness, I felt like the end of the book was a little bit abrupt um there there wasn't a a strong sort of you know typical narrative with the rising action and the climax and the falling action and whatever it was just sort of a uh we got to the end and we we fought loggers and uh and then some other things happened into the movie the last scene is basically her going back to her parents place and just looking, which is now 
no, the parents no longer are living there, and the, the house is. It doesn't look. That's basically enclosure to, to that part of her life. Okay. So it's good. So there's a little bit of a falling action, a little bit of a denouement, right? Yeah. Okay. I just I remember listening to it because I and that's part, I wanted to re-listen to it specifically to try to better understand the end. But I think when I listened to the end of the first time, I was a little bit distracted. And then by the time I realized I was a little bit distracted, it, like it was already over. Because uh, the ending just sort of has a, a falling action and a conclusion that hit, hit real fast. Yeah, and there was a, a lot of um, discussion too, like not only of the action of the, the loggers and, and turning into an owlbear again, I think, and, and stuff like that, um, but also... Uh, talking to her adoptive mom or the person that raised her and talking about how she wasn't that warm and close, but it also, there were reasons for that, but maybe they weren't, it wasn't the right choice, but it was, but they actually talked through that, which I thought was, yeah. was nice. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was nice. even mentioned thinking that Lavaris is her. <laughs> that, that. Yeah. No. But again, yeah. connecting to how her young her child abuse that she got, it makes sort of sense that she would sort of feel that, but I like the fact that, yeah, got some closure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I I agree. All the, all the pieces there for a satisfying closure and conclusion were there. Um, it just happened so fast, <laughs> I guess, is, is where I'm at. It's, it snuck oh, up yeah. on me, and I didn't realize I, that it was suddenly done, right? I thought there was, it felt like there was going to, there should have been more story. So, is that it? Are we done? I think so. Okay. So, who has last thoughts then uh, of the Druid's Call? I mean, uh, for what you were mentioning about creating the background and putting links to those are useful tools in, our, in any game to be able to do so. And there are some game systems that encourage that. And there's also tools that exist, out, generic tools. Like one of the ones of my favorite tools that exist that can be used for any game system is called Backstory Cards, which literally, it's a deck of cards. You flip and you ask a question and you provide a link with either this setting or with somebody else's table and you right. create a link. It's a little bit... Mike Shea once upon a time inspired me to steal this this game mechanic out of Fiasco, um, where you kind of use index cards and build relationships with the people next to you at the table, uh, and then those are in game relationships. Um, and so that way, by the time the game starts, like not everybody knows everybody, but everybody is connected to everybody. You know, there's there's glue sort of bringing the party together. You don't have to, you don't have to spend a lot of time in your game sort of establishing why you know everybody and, and how they got together and, and telling that story. Tracy, any last thoughts? I, I mean, I did enjoy having one of the novels that was a little more single character focused. I know we learn about some of the other characters, but it is about Dork at the end. Um, so that was nice. Uh, and I, I mean, overall, I, I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed the ex exploration of the impacts of, of, you know, 
uh, childhood abuse and stuff. Like, it's not like I enjoyed the childhood abuse, but the fact that, like, they actually really did explore it in that setting mm -hmm. and, and some of the impact that it can have. Um, I thought that was great. It, it, I was, and I hate that they keep making me cry. So this book obviously made me cry a little bit for that, that area that you yeah. talked about earlier. The movie made me cry. So just, uh, just going to keep crying, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's not a bad thing. No, no, it was, a, it was, a, it was a good story. Uh, it has its flaws, I think, but it was a good story. Uh, I really am glad that I, that I read it. Um, it adds to my appreciation of the characters that then show up in the movie, um, particularly Doric. Um, it explains some of the things that people complained about or wondered about that came out of the movie. Um, and it gives her, you know, the character who had probably the least amount of character development in the movie, a character that was very thoroughly developed uh, and, and touching and, and um, yeah. heart-wrenching, heart you know? And I really appreciate, like, it feels weird to bring it up now uh, in some ways because we've had a lot of this already since I started playing D&D, &D, but the idea of the roundness, like, the spectrum of particularly female characters, but even some of the male characters, because, like, uh, was there another tiefling at the camp, but he was oh. part of the staff? Yeah, you know, and so one, of, one of the masters was a tiefling. It's the only tiefling she'd ever seen before. Um, and, yeah. and in fact, she, uh, she had been told at one good. point by the elves that like tieflings are so rare, most of them never meet another tiefling. Uh, but he was, yeah. a tiefling, he was a tiefling druid, but also the cook. Right. And so um, them being able to explore a bit, um, th that conversation they had was pretty deep. And, and, mm -hmm. and like he was very vulnerable in it. And that, I thought that was, that was cool too. Mm-hmm. No, there were a lot of characters in this story that had clearly gone through a lot of therapy and were very comfortable with who they were and how to talk to others. Yeah. <laughs> so, there were there were also some people that were not that way, but there were a lot of characters who were who were very well adjusted and good communicators. I I got just so tired of reading novel after novel of the only reason this is a, a thing is because people won't talk to each other. So the I fact mean, that they would <laughs> there are so like many. The movies or tv shows where i'm like this is stupid if you just talk to each other yeah but then there wouldn't be a story i don't or there'd be a better story because it would be about real things and not just a failure to communicate again <laughs> anyway sorry i don't mean to yeah to, to keep on that too much but yeah <laughs> yep i agree it is nice to have a story where where the issue isn't just people failing to communicate All right. Is that where we'll wrap things up then? Well, one thing I want to say, I'm hoping that they write a book about Zank, the paladin, in uh, the DNA movie, because of the characters in the, in the movie, he's the only one that doesn't get a section in the book. So well, far. you, we could talk about the movie, but, but the impression I got from um, Zank is that he is not a player character. That was a highly competent DMPC that was brought in to to bring them into a situation that was uh, above their level. <laughs> so everybody else was a, was a PC in the party, uh, but Zank was not. I don't believe. I think um, Dork is destined for great things. I think 
I mean, Dork is a, is an incredible character, and there's a lot of cool things that can happen there. I really, I hope there is a sequel to the movie. I hope the sequel brings us more books. I wouldn't hate hearing a, a reading a Zinc book. Clearly, there's a lot of story that they allude to in the movie, um, but his story also doesn't feel as important because he he doesn't feel like one of the PCs. No. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't think it's important, but it still would be like, oh, look. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, we have a lot of the characters. He he literally character he literally have. leads the party through one adventure and then just walks off down the beach out of nowhere. Like, it's not like he's going to join them until they get to the next town. He just, okay, well, I'm done now. Bye. And leaves. <laughs> now it's the, my part of the oh, story yeah. is over well, and the DM is tired of running a character. Bye. <laughs> yes. Um. But yeah, so, um, so yeah, I, I hope that we get more opportunities, and I hope the people who write the next movie have read these books and give more opportunities to sort of see these characters and develop these characters. Um, I think there's opportunities to, you know, honestly, I think you could tell a story where where the main characters are just Simon and Doric. Um, you know, and Edgin and, and Holga sort of take a back seat a little bit or, or make cameos at the beginning and they go off on this other adventure or whatever, right? I think there's lots of opportunities there. I am I hope there's a lot of care taken for the story and that it's not just a, well, these are the things we think worked and brought people into the theater and let's just do more of that and follow our formula to make money as opposed to telling good stories. Because what really brings people into a franchise and, and makes it last is good stories, not following formulas that make money. So that's where I'm at. I think we're going to call that the end of the episode. So it is time to say goodbye. I do want to say thank you to all of our patrons at patreon.com slash the Tome Show. And special thank you goes out to Doug Palmer, Hyperlexic, Jill Sanders, Leonard Pelche, and Michael Harrison. If you'd like to contact us, you can send us an email, thetomeshow at gmail.com. You can find me on Twitter at Sarah Dark Magic and sarahdarkmagic.com. You can find Jeff at Squatch, S-Q-U-A-C-H. Eric, where can folks find you? You can find me at Eric M. Pack on Twitter, also on Macedon at Eric M. Pack at Dice.com. And on the long weekend in May in uh, Ottawa, I am uh, organizing Can Games. That's on May 19th to 21st. So if you want to play some games and you want to see me, that. If this episode out by that time, <laughs> how far away is Ottawa from where I live now? <laughs> <laughs> and you can find uh, the show at, at the Tome Show on Twitter, and you can find us on Facebook, Patreon, and Discord. Watch us live as we record the episode on Twitch.tv/slash Tome Show, and show notes and other great shows are at thetomeshow.com. And that's our thoughts on the Druids' Call next month. No. In two months, we're going to be reading Perdido Street Station. Until then, keep turning the page, Tomites. I'm also lost.